Hello, Pubcast listeners, and welcome to episode 108 of the Agile Pubcast. This is a short podcast where Jeff Watts and I have a chat over a beer and a cider over all things Agile. We'd normally be in the pub right now, but of course, lockdown has happened, COVID has hit us, and at the moment, we're both currently not allowed to return to the pub together. But until then, we're going to be in our homes, in our own surroundings, having a drink at home. So, in this episode, We start with a discussion around emotions and how emotions is a key part of our agile development as teams, but also as practitioners and how we can help other people to realize and identify with emotions within themselves. There's also a bit of a chat around storytelling, narratives, and how those narratives can help shape um, our direction, our transformation, and and get people motivated and uh, increase morale towards a a new goal or a challenge. Jeff also educates me on an Aesop's fable about a scorpion and a frog. So, enough of me rambling on. It's time to get on with the podcast. And as you know, this podcast doesn't start without our familiar jingle. So, here we go. Hello, hello. Hello, Jeff. Boom, boom, boom. You're a bit bouncy. I know. Won't last. Won't last. Wait, well, yeah, here we are again in our um, in our abodes, in our little hideaways at home. I still have another haircut. You know, it's, it's, you're getting a bit of a bit of a microphone on top of there. Bit of... Friday. Friday, I'm having a haircut. Booked in. It's quite a lot of hair there. <laughs> there you go. You what, you got? what are you drinking, mate? What have you got? Wow. Wow. This is this is why I'm bouncing, actually. I'm really excited. Okay. I've got scents and beer. Okay. But you um, didn't order yourself, you mean? No, I didn't order it. No, no, no. Um, so basically, someone listened to a podcast and said, can we, um, can we suggest beers? And I said, well, you can, but it's kind of, you know, if the if the pub doesn't serve them, we're a bit screwed. <laughs> and if my local shop doesn't sell them, we're a bit screwed. And so, so if you if you want to send us some beer, joking, yes. If you want to send some send me some beer, I will drink it on an episode. And uh, and someone has. So Serge Serge Hybrechts from Belgium has sent me some Belgian beer, but not just Belgian beer. He sent it me in a box. Oh my day! Box. Look at this with its own glasses as well so if, if, if people can't see this on the video jeff's just opened a presentation box uh, yeah. with two bottles and two very nice looking goblets in there as well to drink out of yeah yeah, yeah. so i presume it's pronounced vestmala vestmala is it G- german yeah belgian belgian <laughs> of course I, it's uh, belgian beer yes i blow the dust off the bottles brilliant um trappist beer which to me says monks mm. um, and it's there's one double and there's one triple uh, and yeah the double is seven percent and the triple is nine and a half percent and they're 750 mil bottles good luck my friend so yeah i'm looking forward to that and everything tastes better when it's in a proper glass mm. there's not i mean those glasses um it doesn't look, look, look it'll hold that much 
It's like a large wine glass. 25 centiliters, 250 mils. So I'm, I'm going to play. I'm going to play sensible and go for the double rather than the triple. Okay. So I'll pour this out. Oh, it's quite dark, isn't it? It's dark. So Jeff's pouring this. It's very terrible podcast material, but Jeff's pouring this his drink into a. You can always two minutes if you want. So. Yeah, it is. It's quite dark. It's like Guinness. It's like stout. Very it dark. Smell, it doesn't smell like Guinness. It smells sweeter. Mm, that's that's nice. So I've had mixed experiences with Belgian beers, largely because some of them are too strong for me mm. to enjoy. But that's nice. And is it, um, does it taste like Guinness? Is it, is it sweet? No, 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 it's nothing like Guinness. Does it taste, does it, does it taste like strong? Is it, oh, this is strong stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't, because sometimes it can, I can recoil if it tastes too alcoholic. Mm. It's almost like the, the beer can't take the amount of alcohol, but no, this. So is this based on Serge's recommendation, is it? I presume it's, um, it's local to him, either that or it's his favourite or both. Okay. But yeah, it was, it's a beer he, he really enjoys and wanted to, to share with the world. So if you, if, I, if you hold it up to the light, which you can't really see, but it's it's a lot sort of redder, a reddish brown rather than a than a black, mm. and it's not it's not thick really, it's not thick like Guinness is. But so it's it's slightly sweet, but only ever so slightly. Mm. Yeah, and it's got that sort of. I, 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 for me, a Belgian tang, which a little bit, so it starts off sweet and ends up bitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you, Serge. Cheers. If anybody else wants to send me beer, don't <laughs> hurry message me and I'll tell you where to send it. You're more than willing to to accommodate to try these things for the good of the podcast, aren't you, Chef? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for society. And we are in. Uh, you know, he's, Serge has chosen the the podcast to as a marketing opportunity to for that for that local hopefully local local ale well well done to him what are you drinking well i haven't i haven't ventured far on this on this particular podcast jeff i haven't gone gone international i'm sticking sticking with somerset mm-hmm. and i'm firmly firmly in the in the glastonbury area and i'm drinking um orchard pig orchard pig but it's a different orchard pig Okay. So this is this is a bottle. Of, I'll stop talking in a West Country accent. There, this is a bottle of Truffler, Truffler, yeah. which is. Um, so I'm, I'm quite a big fan of the Orchard Pig Reveler, which I've had a lot of, and Reveler tends to be a bit more common to see in the pubs. But um, I had a look online, and Orchard Pig do a couple of others. So I've got them both here. I might have a look at the other one later. But this is a six percent. This is quite strong for me. And how is um, it different? Huh? How is it supposed to be different? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I think this is a dry, whereas Reveler is more of a, a medium or a sweet. This is medium dry, um, probably a bit more tart. So I'll give it. A, but um, cheers, chap. I'll give it. I'll give it a taste. Yeah. Cheers. To V Day. Mm. Vaccine day. That's all right. It's all right. 
tastes like apples pretty much it's just um nothing complicated about that it's um would you choose yeah. that over reveler no i think reveler is a bit better for me but that's um yeah that's a bit drier but it's quite drinkable it's i mean it's nice and clear and it's nice and fizzy nice and cold it's been outdoors now but it's freezing outside so it's just stood outside the back door but that's probably would get me quite drunk quite quickly i imagine so uh it's going to be a short pubcast today. <laughs> oh, we'll be good. We'll be good. Either a very short one or a very long one. So yeah, V-Day, uh, for, for anybody else that's not aware, uh, today the first person in the UK got vaccinated against COVID-19. The rollout has begun. Our mm. fight back has begun. Our long road back to normality. It's amazing, begun. isn't it, how just the smallest, smallest bit of good news and, and and obviously the media plays a big part in this certainly in, in the uk is that i mean that is it's a drop in the ocean in terms of the the um the road to success isn't it you know the but it's the hope it's it's the idea that we're one step one tiny step on the, on a forward journey now towards moving away from this um these restrictions and these constraints and hopefully to a more of a, a way of work, a way of living that we used to enjoy like this time last year. Well, it's a good example of how, you know, because any kind of organisational change is a massive, massive programme, right? It's a massive endeavour, journey, transition, whatever. But you don't need to solve it. As long as you're getting some positive steps forward, yeah. it can give you energy for, for more. You need to, to see movement, you know, you need to see progress but if you remember back in the day jeff this is something we used to do quite a lot of bt so we used to run bt roadshows didn't we well so when bt was first going through the um the, when transformation was a new word and agile was a new word the only way we got people's heads to turn the only pay, only way that we got any any type of traction was success stories and many of them weren't really in the grand scheme of things that dramatic but we had a very good marketing team behind us that would basically would amplify the small successes we were having. And it might have been rolling out, you know, one of the big BT names, you know, an A-lister in terms of BT senior managers. If they said the same thing, all of a sudden people started to listen. So, yeah, people need, need doesn't have to be a big success, but people need to hear positive progress, I think. And real positive progress, right? If it was being something that wasn't very um, actually impactful as being spun as bigger than it was, then it could have the opposite effect. Yeah. So no, it's a it's a good day. It's a good day. And we've been teaching, haven't we? We've been did some teaching today. Yeah, if you can call it that. <laughs> well, we were on a, a learning. We were on a, a Zoom call all day with some people that wanted to do some learning. Yeah, facilitated learning. Um, they taught themselves some good stuff today. Mm. They reflected well. Um, taught each other as well. That's um, one of the things that we like to do, isn't it? Help people teach each other. Because a lot of the stuff that, that we're talking about isn't a, what does the scrum guide say. It's So this is a tricky situation with some complicated people in a complex organization how do you do that and the honest answer is we don't know because we've never been in that situation before in those with those variables as they are for them 
uh, but we can help give them some some patterns for thinking mm. uh, and some questions to contemplate and some experiences to pick apart and compare and contrast uh, so that's kind of what we do and it is not today we have certainly have some good examples of great coaching uh, scenarios or, or, or just great coaches people on that um call today that would ask really good questions to of each of each other mm-hmm. and then we can just kind of sit back and you know and it, it makes our jobs a whole lot easier it's less about telling it's more about people other people learning from each other people which is exactly how i like to do those things so that, mm. that's good it was um yes reassuringly positive what were some of the threads that came up today threads there was something around we started um there was quite a lengthy discussion wasn't there about emotions and mm-hmm. um and teams making emotional decisions and when emotions can get in get in the way and I, I and i did feel that maybe there was a maybe the perception that that could be a bad thing that that could be a erratic or a rash thing mm-hmm. um but obviously what what i think emerged was emotions are a useful can be a useful thing if if they're um if we're made aware of them, if we can use them as see them as a strength, as as, as a degree of positive and, and passion, yeah. Um, so it's just I, I think what what jumped out at me was how many teams or many situations where emotions scare people, or you know, because mainly because maybe we're just not used to dealing with them. Well, the stigma associated with it, isn't it? If, if I were to say to you, so and so got emotional, mm. the chances are you'd think negative things. Yeah. Um, and I think to a degree that if we're not self-aware of our emotions and we're not acting mindfully, channeling our emotions positively, then it can. It can be negative because it can blinker us, the, the, the analogies of the red mist coming down, right? Or just acting out of um, spite or revenge or defensiveness or something like that, rather than, than logic, rationale or, or mutual benefit. So... But the emotions themselves, it's not that we shouldn't, and this is the point that the class came up with, is that it's not that we want to be keeping emotions out of the team. We just need to be able to give the team the tools to be able to to manage them mm. um, and, and channel them. And that starts with self-awareness. Yes. But the thing about self-awareness is it doesn't bring contentment. Robert Greenleaf said this. Did he? Yeah. Awareness doesn't bring contentment. In fact, it brings the opposite because you're aware of all your faults, your flaws, all your fallibilities, judgments, misconceptions. Mm. But is it, it's, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm at risk here of quoting an author and getting the author wrong. But um, was it Daniel Goldman that wrote about emotional intelligence? Yep. Oh, I got that wrong. Yep. Oh, yes, yes. Um, but so I've done a, I've done a bit of stuff with um, with Goldman's. Um, he's got like a five step. We, there's five elements to emotional intelligence that he talks about, and the first one is self awareness. So it's you, you, and we talk a lot. Probably we make a huge leap in agile to talk about empathy, but empathy is in, uh, according to Goldman's model is step four. You've got to, you've got to be able to at least first uh, um, identify an emotion in yourself before you can identify an emotion and. and and share that emotion in someone else. So we, I think we tend to 
me personally and, and a lot of the people that I've, I've worked with over the years tend to view emotions as very binary things happy or sad or or or, or mad or whatever so, so it's see it as, as quite quite binary but there's obviously there's there's i think well darwin another quote for you darwin ch ch sorry crikey we're getting philosophical yeah charles darwin famously said jeff as you'll know that the human face is capable of ten thousand different emotions really that's what he said that's what he claimed which is a big number so it's an extremely complex um understanding that's what what's so, my expressing yes. now um both contempt and qu you're quizzical <laughs> <laughs> um but no it's it's I, I find it fascinating that um you know just being able so you say like you give a list of emotions about and how many of those emotions can you recognize within yourself and would you know when you're feeling that emotion mm. or know what that know what that emotion feels like it's um and then only then will you be able to actually regulate it and then be able to see it and, and help other people identify with it themselves. Mm -hmm. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. And something that traditionally teams don't really get a lot of training in. No. It's usually something for management, isn't it? Because people need to manage other people's emotions, whereas actually we need to manage our own. We need, we need self-management. Uh, we can't, we can't, manage ourselves unless we're aware of ourselves we can't hope to as you're saying interact with and manage other people or relationships with other people if we can't manage ourselves um, we're all we're all part of the problem that we're looking to solve that was that came up today as well right so we were looking at some techniques at systems thinking and yeah relationship management stakeholder management and so on and Actually, well, where do we fit into this and, and how are we contributing to the situation and how maybe we even sabotaging our own aims? It's a great question, isn't it? And, it's a, and again, it, and we're, we're quite happy to claim it wasn't us that said it. One of the other um, course attendees said, you know, how might you be part of this? How might you not be a part of the problem, but how might your involvement be affecting your perspective on this? It's a great question. Could just encouraging people to step outside and look at themselves through a different, through someone else's eyes. You actually do a lot with emotions explicitly, don't you? You actually talk quite openly and explicitly about emotions with teams. Use the yeah. F word, feelings, a lot. Yeah, we. So in my improv, part of my improv um, teaching that I do is around becoming aware of and, and, and to an extent playing with emotions. It's easier to um, identify um, those emotions if you feel like you're not being judged against them or if you're not being assessed on them. Mm. So we do a lot of stuff in, the, in my improv course about a game called Emotions, Emotions, Emotions. Okay. So you say, um, think of a sentence. I can do this with you now, Jeff. Go on then. Should we do it now for the... For the uh... <clears throat> so um, write down at home. And anyone listening can do this as well, actually. It's a good, yeah, good it's play. Some paper. It's a paper and a pen. Um, write down the name, uh, not the date, write down a sentence, a phrase, something that you might, an everyday thing you might say at work in a given situation. So tell me what it is. So give what you do is you give your uh, students or your team a couple yep. of minutes to think of that, write it down on a bit of home, uh, a bit of paper at home. Done. And then what you do in this game, you, you'd have a list of emotions. Now, 
if you were in a team setting, you'd write those emotions down. But we're not going to do that now. I've got some emotion cards here that I'll show to you. All right. But basically, you're, you've got a, a list of random emotions that, you, that the team filter out and put onto a bit of flip chart paper or something like that. And then I'll show you an emotion, Jeff. Um, and then you've just got to say your sentence using that emotion. Yeah. All right. Now, the idea is if you had them all written down on a bit of paper, you could um, you could pick one yourself as well. So I'll let you do that as well in a minute. So let's just do a random one. Yeah. No, in fact, we'll do, we'll do it as I would do properly. I'll hold up a list of them, Jeff. I don't know if you can read these. But I've got... Um, so yeah, I've got a, doubt, surprise. I'll, I'll, I'll scan through these, right? So I'll, I'll scan through these. Yeah. So um, for the benefit of people listening who can't see what I'm doing on video, I'm holding up some names of emotions for mm. Jeff. Okay. And you can pick one out. Um, and then you can... Basically, you'd say your whatever you've got written down, yeah. Um, using that emotion. Okay. All right. Okay. So don't, don't tell me which one it was. Just say, say, you know, demonstrate that emotion through those words that you've written down. I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. Okay. So we don't judge it. We just say it, and then you. So then this time, I'm going to pick a different. I'm going to pick one for you. Right, and I have to try and pick one that's slightly different or in contrast the one that I think you did okay so I'm so gonna pick guess my emotion huh you didn't, you're not guessing what I'm not I gonna mean. guess it you can tell me at the end if you want to all okay. right but I'm gonna get picked so I, I'm gonna tell you that's it for the, that says optimism I want you to use use the emotion of optimism and say the same sentence again okay um, I don't know what you're talking about Paul okay and then it's up to you now to pick a third one, hence why it's called emotions, emotions, emotions. Pick one that you f you feel contrasts for you the the emotion of, of uh, optimism. Ah, I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. Very good. Now, what you do is you'd ask, if you wanted to share what your emotions were, you could. Mm. And you go around each of your team members to do that. But basically, and then you say, you're best asking the question, did any of those emotions... Um, come easy more easily to you did you find any of them harder to access that okay. type of thing, just to start that that conversation around emotions yeah okay all right so i mean i started off with bored okay which i found i thought quite easy <laughs> yeah i found it quite hard to, to get into optimism when i was talking about not understanding something how not understanding something could be optimistic about that i tried but it, it felt like a sort of paradox so it was at odds um, with the words you'd written down Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what was the third one? Oh, it was surprised. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I'm 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 rarely surprised that I don't understand <laughs> things. So that was relatively easy. So yeah. So what's interesting, obviously, different people will find it easier or harder to access certain emotions. So there's and obviously there's hundreds of emotions you could pick from. What's interesting as well, I did this in a workshop in Cardiff back in, back in the day when we were allowed to attend conferences. And I asked five or six different tables <clears throat> to write down as quickly as they could as many emotions as they can think of. Yep. And what was interesting, so I, I basically took photos of all the results on flip chart papers and I kind of highlighted what would be deemed positive versus negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And unsurprisingly, or maybe surprisingly, I'd say about 80 to 90% of the emotions that people wrote down off the cuff were negative ones. Oh. Or ones around fear, um, you know, hate, or kind of that kind of very negative, bored, dull, 
or you know, these types of things. Interesting, wasn't it? Do you think there are, do you, maybe you know this, um, are there more negative emotions than positive or is it sort of a balance 50-50? Right. I'd like to think there's a balance. Darwin said 10,000. So is there about 5,000 that are positive and 5,000 that are negative? See, I would imagine there are more negative ones than positive. I think why? Why, why? why would that be the case? Because I think human beings are generally more negative than positive. What? Really? Yeah. I think, I think I don't it's necessarily a bad thing. It's a risk aversion thing. It's, it's a think... self-protection thing. It's a self-preservation thing. But I also think it's a a media thing in that that's true that the, all of the news that we hear on a daily basis is generally bad things but that's what gets people's attention that's why they do it but is there any reason why then people when think of an emotion they think of a, a bad one or think of a negative one well it's normalization maybe but yeah i think i think that's well it's self-reinforcing isn't it in a way, and maybe we've just been self-reinforcing for so long that it's a cycle we can't break out of. But, but then that's again, that's why it's yeah. As a as a scrum master, I always talk about trying to be a glass half full type person, trying to. See they say that you need something like ten positive interactions to outweigh a negative one negative or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we do take the negative ones to heart, and we sort of shrug off the positive ones we do we remember the bad reviews on TripAdvisor, don't we yeah we look for the bad ones because that's gonna that's gonna drive our decision as to whether we go on holiday to this hotel or not is the bad reviews interesting isn't it force multipliers but yeah um so I, yeah i love that kind of emotional um there was a great blog post or i think it was a ted talk i read from i can't remember the guy's name i shouldn't if i find it later i'll I'll soundbite it in, but um, he talks about an, a the period, periodic table of emotions. So basically, to make emotions more palatable, more interesting, to <laughs> he decided to pick a scientific artifact. He picked a, <laughs> the, the periodic table and and basically changed them all into emotions. And okay. he did, he got a, an amazing amount of engagement from people in becoming interested in emotions. Okay, because he made it more playful and he made it more scientific. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You've got to pick your audience there. Mm. Uh, are there. Have you ever had any sort of um, negative experiences about talking about emotions with people, playing with emotions with people? Um, yeah, I think, I think um, it needs. We've we've talked a lot about all of these things are, um, are bounded by a safe. This, this idea of safety. So people might find it less. Um, less easy to talk about an emotion or to even I've never had anyone actually refuse to play but I've certainly had people who found it very difficult in a group of strangers to um, identify with or maybe uh, confess to be able to identify with emotions so that's why safety is such a key element to it yeah so has uh, can it backfire in what, what, how do you mean? Right, can it, because um, I think the, the, well, we talked a little bit today about how it can be something that people really resist getting into at work. I think sort of feelings aren't for work, you know, that yeah. professional, but face on, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and 
could it could it lead to extra resistance yeah you could you lose the the buy into a, a logical idea simply because you're looking at emotions i imagine so i imagine you could you i mean so if the, if your team are very much um resistant to that approach or that that vulnerability you might there's a risk that you might potentially alienate yourself or other people by you know you've got you just you're you just wired differently but again that's, that's something that really struck me today that came out was um so someone asked the question about playing games at work didn't they about did, this yeah. idea about playing with things at work and for me again so that's yeah maybe i'm reading too much into it but there's an argument is work the right place for play i'd say when you're working in a creative complex domain mm-hmm. i think play i think play is virtually is more or less essential for for creative and for diverse thinking um i think it's probably telling me at a, at a long distance about something about the dna of the organization where play isn't seen as valuable or where you're basically maybe maybe they're even saying creativity therefore innovation isn't valuable mm-hmm. so for me that's maybe telling me something more fundamental about the culture or the um the willingness of the organization to temper that kind of creative mode that people need that i believe people need yeah <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, related to that, I can't, I can't remember how it came about actually, but we got onto the topic of learned helplessness today. Can you remember how we got onto the topic of that? Remind me what learned helplessness means in that context. So, um, the idea being that I just believe, with no evidence, that I can't make a difference. That there's no point in doing something, and you know, I, I, I didn't really have the um, precise data to hand, and I, and I still don't, but. Uh, I remember in my sort of coach training, sort of the psychological aspect of things, that there were scientific experiments around putting monkeys in a cage, putting some bananas into the cage, and when the monkeys went to the bananas, they shot them with a water cannon. Mm. And um, ev- so they decided it's not worth going for the bananas because they're getting shot with a water cannon. Mm. And then they would take out one monkey at a time, replace it with a new monkey, and to begin with, the new monkey who didn't know about the water cannon went for the bananas until the other monkey said, don't do that. So it hit him over the head, don't do that. So he didn't know why, but he knew it wasn't socially acceptable to not go for the bananas. Mm. And eventually all the monkeys that had seen the water cannon were replaced. No monkeys were in the cage that had ever seen a water cannon, but they wouldn't go near the bananas. They just knew that you can't go near the bananas. They didn't know why. They Mm. just knew you couldn't. They had no evidence to suggest anything bad was going to happen. It's sort of that learned helplessness, that idea that things are never going to change around here, you know? Mm. And and you can sort of buy into that um, mythology that this organisation is never going to change. It's not really worth putting your effort into it. A little bit cynical. Mm. Um, so that's that's sort of where that that comes from. I can't remember how we got onto that topic. No, not for <laughs> It Doesn't matter. But I think it's an interesting interesting concept and that idea of just gradually chipping away providing little bits of proof, little bits of encouragement, little bits of momentum that we're making some progress. But our natural, and this is sort of how we ended the day, if you like, is as, as human beings, we also have this desire to solve things. Massive. To reach, to reach closure, hmm. get to the end. Um, 
when actually all we need is progress, momentum, mm. forward motion. And, you know, as a scrum master, not only practicing that ourselves, but, but um, you know, role modeling it and encouraging it in other people. We don't need, we don't need the full product. We need an MVP. We need, you know, an, an increment of value. Yeah, it's that desire for certainty, isn't it? Um, and closure, because it, it finishes things. There's no more uncertainty anymore. It's done. We've got a moral of the story. We've reached the end. The, the book is closed. You know, we, we like that. Resident. I think it's also a little bit of the, so in that situation today with going through some coaching examples in today's course that we think even before we've heard the full story, we think we need to give, tell tell people what we should do <laughs> or, or what we think they should do. Yeah, we think, we, we think we've seen it before. We've got that confirmation bias. I see two dots here that represent my, my experience. Therefore, I can, I know. Mm. that's that's a tough one to get past that sort of confirmation bias but also the the yeah the, the desire to rescue and the desire to solve problems because and... that is essentially a big part of visualization isn't it is that it's helpful for us to put ourselves in that situation to be able to understand it yeah but then it's being able to step back and say okay so i can i can learn i can understand um the situation well, i think that's I, the weakness of, of narrative so the power part of the power of narrative is yes. to normalize and to humanize yes i, I can understand this is a, this is a plausible scenario is to normalize i can i can empathize with that myself is to humanize and and that's that's powerful because i've got buy-in i've got engagement i can relate to it i can i can latch onto it the downside is that then i i think i have the right and the permission to to project my interpretation my lens onto that scenario mm. Interesting, isn't it? So, you know what it made me think about then? What's that? And I'm making a bit of a leap now, Jeff. So go with me on this. And this this might go down a podcast cul-de-sac like we've been down many a time before. That's what the, that's what the cut and paste is for. <laughs> but it made me think of these um, choose-your-own-adventure Netflix things, right? Yeah. So my kids... Uh, so I've... Because I, now, I've, I um, just before lockdown, I bought a brand new... Um, up-to-date tv <laughs> up-to-date yeah so i've, I've survived a smart television i have a smart television now very you. good very good i've stepped into the uh, modern age and um it allows me to do very clever things like that like choose my own 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 um destiny within a story so we watched one of the first things we did was we watched netflix uh, bandersnatch and we watched so the, my kids have just done um the, there's a bear grills one which is like um you versus the wild so basically you make choices for bear grills as to whether he should tackle the the alligator or mm. you know or the scorpion that type of thing or whether he should abseil or whether he should traverse the you know wh whatever so that type of thing and it's like you are then you are you are part of the story now which is great isn't it in terms of yeah. you're you're part of the story you're part of the narrative and you're part of the adventure but yeah i mean from a from a an interaction an interactive point of view that's great but if you are too far immersed in that do you then you know can you will you be able to review it in a slightly less biased way i don't know it's an interesting one that's all it made me think of don't know where that's going but there we are 
Did they enjoy it? Did they learn anything from it? No. If anything, when we did Bandersnatch, it made us wanting. It made me want to know all of the other eventual, yes. all of the other possibilities. Because we want to know. Yeah. We, what What should I have done, Jeff? What you know? Which decision should I have made? Yeah. And, and we, oh, we so me and the wife watched it, and the first thing we did was we made the wrong choice quite early in the film, and it ended. So like the film ended after like twenty minutes, and we thought, oh, what a thoroughly disappointing experience. <laughs> because we chose you poorly. Yourself to blame. Yeah, so it's like, oh, that's it then. And we had a very, what a crap idea that is. But because we chose poorly, so it's like. Um... So, so did you try again? Yeah. Because there's an inspect and adapt element in there, right? Yeah. I think that that's, there's an element of, um, okay, all right, I'm branching off again. <laughs> um, what's the phrase? I'm going to try and create a phrase now. It's bounded autonomy is the phrase I'm going to use. Right. Because often when we talk about self-organizing teams and, and, and team autonomy, there's an assumption that it's free reign. But as, as you very well put in the subtitle of your book, creativity constraints, yeah, constraints can help foster creativity, not just... Oh, uh, unlock it, Jeff, unlock it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that idea of... Um, actually putting constraints in place can be powerful because some teams will will look at f complete freedom and it, be paralyzed by it yeah so as long as you've still got choice then we still have autonomy yeah and i'm not suggesting that this is the end and this is the long-term goal <clears throat> but certainly while a team is maturing or an individual is maturing in terms of their own competence and confidence having some choices to choose between and some actual choices, not just manufactured choices where there is a right answer, a clear right answer, and you must choose this option. Then we still have autonomy. <clears throat> and equally, if you then got the opportunity to learn from that really quickly, so there was, there was a low cost to you and your wife of replaying that adventure. Okay, you've taken 20 minutes and maybe you have to rewatch some of the same scenes. Yeah. But there's a low cost to, to, to learning from your previous choice. Um, so that that I think that's something that's come up a lot recently in terms of you know from a leadership perspective this idea of well, do I do I, I can't really afford to give everyone complete free reign I don't if I'm being brutally honest I don't trust them enough yet and I think that honesty is important because it's normal not to not to trust someone completely straight away you know when, when we knew each other first I, I trusted you nowhere near as much as I trust you now mm. trust isn't binary it yeah. grows uh, or shrinks um, so how can we how can we build on that how can we iterate on that and that I don't know that, that sort of bounded autonomy what do you think about that no it's true it's um it's the more if you do lots of little experiments and lots of little um ways to reverse and go back it's mm. easier it's easier isn't it to learn and to be open to that idea so like you said, with that Bandersnatch, uh, we, we failed after 20 minutes. We chose poorly. I think it was, the, I'm going to do a massive spoiler alert now for anyone that hasn't done it, but we chose not, I think it was around the interview. There's something around an interview and we chose that we should um, uh, we should refuse the interview when we should have accepted it. And the film basically ended. Um, so, but then, like you said, 20 minutes, we can go back. Oh, well, we don't mind rewatching that. Now, if we've got to rewatch two and a half hours, mm. You know, if we've got to reverse the decisions we've made over the last two and a half, half hours, that's a different proposition, isn't it? Yeah. So the idea of, and even within this idea of short sprints. Did you, sorry, did you rewatch it? 
After 20 minutes, yeah. But yeah. we didn't, yeah. But after two and a half hours, no, we didn't. But did that, did rewatching it after 20 minutes help you with getting to two and a half hours, if that makes sense? Did you learn something about your objective, your destruction? Yeah, I suppose you learn more as, you, as each decision goes. You, you start to pick up on where it's, you know, the intention for the character and the, yeah. the intention of the, the narrative. So you failed fast, hmm. cheaply. And that's in essence what Sprint's <clears throat> all about. Is, it, is, is But there's a, a moral thing that, a morale thing, it's not a moral thing, so a morale that you don't want to be constantly making the wrong decisions. Mm. Even though that might be the best way to learn, it's going to play with your motivation eventually. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose no. There's no real. I can't really ultimately argue with that, but I, I could make a a small argument with that. And it depends on your perception. So, um, if you if you genuinely enjoy learning, and it's not yeah. all about getting the right answer, then that's not going to be very demotivating. But yeah, you do want success. You do want, ultimately, you want to get things right. We are, we are driven by that. Um, no, there's one way of, hmm, and I'm not sure where I'm going with this one, but this failing fast thing is something that I've definitely had a couple of times in my career that and these things stick in my mind not because I think I failed but I think I've helped other people make their mind up a lot quicker rather than failing later on down the line mm. so I can remember you know working going to see a consultancy and talking about agile and you know after a couple of hours from talking about customers are allowed to change their minds for free hold on a minute that's how we make our money if, if Agile's all about that, then that's going to hurt our bottom line. So I'm out. And whether you whether you agree or you disagree with the, the ethical argument there, it's a, it's a business argument. And the short-term business case is don't let your customers change their minds for free because that's how they make their money. Mm. So that that's something they found out really quickly that they didn't want to do. And um, again, I can think of another, another place where we were talking about um, autonomy and um self-organizing teams and this manager said that people are lazy jeff it's that I, I can't i can't sanction lazy people being given autonomy they're just gonna it's just gonna take the mech give them an inch they take a mile and this but <clears throat> this being able to look at this philosophically and say agile is built on this premise that people are good they want to do good things they want to be successful they they're, they're positive intent and given the opportunity, they, they will do great things. And if philosophically you don't agree with that, then it's best not to start, I think, perhaps. Oh, I agree, yeah, completely. It sort of reminds me of that frog and the scorpion. The frog and the scorpion? Aesop's fable, is it, is it yeah, a fable? I think it's, I think it's Aesop's fable anyway. It's certainly a fable, I don't know whether it's Aesop. I presume... I've heard, we've, we've definitely, at some point in our past, it's come up before, and I can't think where and when, but I, I'm aware of it. So the scorpion wants to cross a river. Yes. And and he asks the frog to give him a lift, basically. And the frog says, well, no, because you'll kill me. That's what scorpions do. And the scorpion says, well, why would I kill you? Because I can't swim. If I killed you, I'd drown as well. Mm. And the frog says, no, fair enough. Um, I see the logic there. So the frog gives him a lift and halfway across, the scorpion 
stings the frog and they both drown. As they're drowning, the frog says, but why do you do that? And the scorpion said, because I'm a scorpion. <laughs> um, and that idea of, well, yeah, are we self-destructive by nature? And you know, what is our nature? Are we positive? That sort of philosophical argument we need to sort of have with ourselves. And it's something that I've nailed my colours to the mast around long ago and been called all sorts of things from hippie to tree hugger to idealist to socialist to all sorts of different things because I genuinely believe that people want to do a good job you know and if you if you if you give them the conditions where they can be successful then they want to be successful uh, if you play games with them and you don't trust them then they will live up to your expectations mm. uh, I have no way of knowing empirically whether I'm right or not but it's what I believe and I've seen enough evidence of it that I think um, it's worthy of believing maybe I'm wrong no, it's good. I think I'm a firm believer. Hire, hire, hire good people. You get, you get good results. Absolutely. I'll drink to that. So there are, there, there is such a thing as good people. God, this is. We're going a bit deep now. We're, well, yeah, I told you this side of us, John. Um, I think so. In terms of higher, higher attitude rather than aptitude. You know, hire, hire people that are keen, that are interested, that are uh, willing to learn. And you'll, you know, you, that's if you hire motivated people or people that want to be motivated, that, are, that, that can self-motivate, I think um, you're on to it. You know, you can teach skills, you can teach um, subjects and domains. It's hard to teach attitudes, isn't it? Well, one of my, what's the word? maxims sounds like the right word but i don't know what the sounds, sounds good for one pint of cider in jeff I'll, I'll believe it for now and it and and i and i spouted it today is that i believe every dysfunctional behavior is a symptom of an unmet need so if someone is behaving irrationally or dysfunctionally or negatively or even in from a sabotage point of view it's it's because they have a need that hasn't been met that's my view right? yeah Again, I don't know if I'm right, but I believe it. And whether or not there are good and bad people, again, I don't know, but I think there are some people whose needs are much harder to meet. Yes. And so the dysfunctional behavior might be much harder to change. Uh, it's not to say that it's impossible, but it might not be possible within our context and within our time frame. Nice. Good stuff. Mm. Mate. How are you doing on your on your Belgian beer there? It's good. It's, it's, it's going down well. It's a, I mean, yeah. Is that the second glass? Are you. I'm. Uh, you can't see, can you? The bottle is less full than it was. So. Yeah, there's about two inches left in the bottle. Well, I'm going to let you carry on. I'm going to say I have got another mystery or new cider to 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 taste. So I so I'm going to wait for the next one for that one. Next podcast for that one. So okay. Do another one next week because we've run out of time. And uh, I'll have the triple and it'll be a car crash. We should save that for Christmas or somewhere somewhere where you're not being recorded. <laughs> All right, mate. Okay. Well, um, stay safe, everyone. And if you haven't checked it out yet, check out the, uh, the, the Christmas single. Oh, yes. We should do a massive plug for that, shouldn't we? We should do. I'll do that on the intro as well. Don't panic. But... Um, okay. Yes, let's um, don't, don't don't forget people to 
get onto YouTube. We'll put a link to the YouTube video in the uh, podcast. Um, Fundraising for an amazing cause, but if you don't like it, then just donate to your own cause. As long as some good comes out of it, we don't care. So we'll probably do another one of these before Christmas. It's still only, it's only like the beginning of December, so we've got plenty of time. But uh, stay safe, everyone. Um, and we'll see you again soon. Ta-da.